Hello, everybody. Guess what? We're here. And by here, I mean at my kitchen table (laughs) together. Yay! (laughs) Oh my god, it has been a while since we've recorded one in person. It has. It actually feels really weird looking at you. I think I said that last (laughs) time, but it just always feels really weird. But I just... Sitting across the table You're from just you. Right there. Just right here. Right next to uh, me. But yes, because this is an extra special episode, we decided we need to do this together. Like, hey, let's do it in person. Let's actually do the thing we always do with the stuff like we used to. Yeah. Yep, yep. All of those <laughs> things. Um but yeah, super excited for Brittany to be here. Uh we're recording at my kitchen table, surrounded by animals. So if you, it's you guaranteed you'll you'll hear you'll, them. Not not an if you hear when you hear them. I know. We were just sitting down and I realized Charlie still has his um collar on and I'm like, well, that's gonna that's yeah. gonna happen. I have a blanket basket next to me, Sebastian's sleeping in it right now. It's but what better place to be when we're recording our holiday episode than surrounded by our family, which for us means our children, which is our pets. I mean, that's at least part of our family. Yeah, well, true. <laughs> Other than that, we're alone. But, but yeah. So, um, Patreon. Yeah. Yes. Um, you guys have heard about it a ton. We have some new members. We have someone who recently upgraded to our new Caso Nostro group. I always forget yeah. the full name of it. I <laughs> uh, named like the freaking Nero Diavola Caso Nostra. <laughs> yeah, you always remember it, even though I named it. Um. It's... Yeah. Or, like, suggested this abstract <laughs> whatever. And you were like, sure, Brittany, that sounds great. Um, we have someone that's recently upgraded to that. So that's so exciting. And that's our new level where you get all of the benefits of directing your own episode. You get all the murder minis. You get all the bottle talks. And you um, get a blood and wine, either t-shirt or a tote. You just let us know which one. Mm -hmm. So that's one of our fun new perks that we've got. So thank you so much, Aubrey, for all your love and support. It's super exciting to have you in our top, super exclusive tier. Yeah, if you want to be like (laughs) Aubrey and join the top tier and be the best people there are, check it out. We absolutely could not do this without you, Aubrey, and without... um, listeners like y'all on patreon yes and also um our patreon members not only do they get like like i was saying the murder minis the bottle talks but also videos you guys we're bringing them back we're bringing the videos back in a fun and new way and actually there's a video that was posted a few weeks ago that's related to this episode yes where we um actually showed kind of the step-by-step of um, the wine we'll be drinking yep. in this episode. And you'll hear more soon. Speaking of which, I'll be right back. I have to go check on it. All right, our wine is coming along nicely, so we'll chat about that here in just a little bit. But first, I wanted to uh, remind y'all, if you haven't, to subscribe to Blood & Wine on your podcast listening platform of choice. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean... Um, be sure to subscribe. All the, all the things. iHeartRadio? I don't know if we're on there or not. I don't know. You but... don't know anywhere we are. You're, every episode, you're like, oh, you know, like, let me list all the ones that, like, I don't, I'm not sure we're on. Yeah, I know we're on Podbean, though. And Spotify. And Apple Podcasts. And Google so, Play. All of those things. Oh, yeah, Google Play. How I forget that one, Stitcher. I don't know. Stitcher? Radio. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, we are on so many different platforms. Whichever one you are listening to us on now... 
um, make sure to hit that subscribe button. That way, every time we release a new episode every Tuesday, it'll be downloaded automatically to your device. So you won't have to wait for it. You can click right there and be notified every time we have a new episode. Yes. So, okay. What makes this episode special? Well, it's the fact that tomorrow's Christmas. Mm -hmm. So for those who um, celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. For those that don't, Happy Holidays. There's still so many holidays. I know. Happy Winter that if you're in the States, you may have off work. Yeah, yeah. If you're off work, always a plus. Um, Even if you're not celebrating, it's just a day off. Mm -hmm. But we decided to just do, like, we let Christmas throw up all over this episode. We we did. We let Christmas throw up so much that uh, in doing our cases, I almost threw up a couple times. Oh, well. um, So the topic for today's episode is Santa Claus murders. Yes. Yes, it is. Because, honestly, you look it up... And you're going to find a few fiction novels, not going to lie. Those mm-hmm. are out there. I think there's one called Santa Claus Killer, but... I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a thing. There's the, um, you know, the old story of the man who escapes the uh, asylum or prison or something. And he's dressed as Santa and he comes to, like, kill the family or something. I don't know. There's a... I've never heard of this. Oh, it's an old story. I'm... Yeah, I, I think it's real. I think it is. Um, but <laughs> if there's it's not, that. it should be. It, you know what? I'm going to write it if it's not. Um, but the fact that I'm pretty sure I know the plot means it's definitely out there somewhere. But yes, there are a ton of Santa Claus murders. And yeah. uh, that shit's creepy. And I, it's what we did. Yeah. I will say before we uh, jump into the wine, just to... Also, just to give it a little time to finish doing its thing. Um, So, you know how I generally hate movies, I don't like TV shows, and I really don't like holiday-themed things? Honestly, Tyler, all of these things are part of my favorite things. So, it really surprised me sometimes when, like, we get along so well, yet our differences are, thankfully, not huge things, but it's like stark differences where you're like i don't like movies i hate holiday crap and i'm literally like day after thanksgiving i'm like let's get out the stockings let's put up the tree i want to watch every single hallmark movie i want to watch all the holiday movies on netflix no no matter how cheesy i love them and you're like that sounds like my hell that sounds like (laughs) a a waking nightmare honestly Um, no the day after thanksgiving i want to like sit on the couch, and eat leftover pumpkin pie straight out of the tin like an animal. Um, that's that's my ideal after Thanksgiving. But um, I will say, there are certain TV shows that will do a Christmas or a holiday-themed episode. Like Doctor Who. Um, yeah, Doctor Who's one that does it well. They do. Um, by and large, I think most TV shows suck at it because they're like, let's make it. Christmas, but it's murder. And you're like, oh, okay, make it murder, then make it Christmas for you, Tyra Banks, Pete. For it, regardless, one of the shows that I think does it really well, or at least has done it really well a couple times, is Bones. Um, I know the first season, their holiday episode, they were all like stuck in the museum because of an infection and they gave each other gifts and then they identified someone who died like 70 years before and I remember that episode. Oh my god. It is heartbreaking. It was like one of the first episodes of Bones that like I teared up at. 
They also had one which more in lines with our topic, where a guy dressed as Santa, like, blew up a bank. That was obviously fiction. Um, although it it was a um, one of those pulled from the headlines. You know, Law and Order does a lot of those, where it's a real yeah. crime, and then they'll do an episode about it. Of there was like this big like <clears throat> bank heist or whatever with dude dressed up as Santa. I was reading a little yeah. bit about it. I think it was in the 30s or something. Well, there was that, and then it kind of combined it with there was a case out of I think Pennsylvania, might have been New York, um, a few years ago of the dude who had the bomb strapped to him who robbed a bank. Anyway, it turned out that like he wasn't involved. He'd been like kidnapped, had the bomb put on him to rob the bank. Then he blew up. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, definitely look it up. That's Evil Genius is based on that, isn't it? I don't know what Evil Genius is. It's one of the shows, the documentaries on Netflix. Oh. I don't know. There's something about like a bomb and like strapped to someone and but very yes. intense. So anyway, episode bomb. It's good. It's holiday episodes. That's an episode where Santa does things. But yes. So our topic, long story short, Santa Claus murders. Okay. Well, we've alluded to it. It's not going to be a secret any longer. We're going to tell you about the wine we're doing. Yes. Because obviously we're together. We're doing the same wine. And it's got a holiday spin. We made this shit. We definitely did. So we are actually about to drink a mold rosé. And this is legit. It's actually a thing. We found so many recipes and honestly just created our own. Yes, so this mulled wine is one we have never done before. We invented the recipe, and we wanted to bring y'all something special. We did mulled wine last year, and it was a really big hit. We got a lot of great feedback from y'all who loved it. We wanted to make a little spin on it. We talked about doing, you know, maybe like a whiskey apple cider, but let's be real. Our, Our safety area, our home is wine, so, you know... A lot of people, a lot of people don't like red wine. You yeah. can make white wine sangria. Who the hell says you can't make a rosé mold a, wine? Rosé mold wine. So boom, here it is. So we used three bottles of just regular rosé. Any kind will work. Whatever you like. Honestly, don't buy an expensive rosé. Use a yeah. cheap one, Use just cheap like you one. would for regular mold wine. Um, we picked one large grapefruit and sliced that up. Six ounces of cranberries, some mashed, some not. Um, one tablespoon pumpkin pie spice. If you have like allspice and nutmeg, you can also create a combo of that as well. That'll work. Uh, we just had pumpkin pie spice. Four cinnamon sticks, half a cup of honey or sugar if you prefer, and one ginger finger, which is a phrase I just learned yeah, like today. Yeah, like a two-inch like, finger of ginger. Like a it's piece a of ginger. So um, and we just dice that up. And you just put it on the stove, let it heat until it simmers on a very low heat. Honestly, the second it gets warm and starts simmering, mm-hmm. take it off the heat. Otherwise, yeah. all that alcohol is going to burn off and you if just you see, wasted it. Yeah. If you see a bubble, kill the heat. Take kill it off. Kill the heat. It's done. But yeah, so we have that right here. And I think, I don't know, I am excited to try this. It looks like a hot apple cider. You know, it definitely has a pink to it. But is a little orangey tan. Yeah, it is a little bit of this like brown, almost like wassail to be honest. Yeah. Is what this reminds me of a lot. But it still has that pink color from the rosé, the grapefruit, and oh my gosh. It, it smells, smells so, so good. good. All right. Well, cheers. Cheers. Well, wow, that is a lame cheer. <laughs> it's because We're we filled it. We're using stemless and mm-hmm. they're full and yeah. 
Whoa. I like this more than I thought I would. Wow. It still keeps the dry characteristics. It's probably because we used the grapefruit and you squeezed them in there. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, it all, the sweetness, because we used a very dry rosé, so the only sweetness in this is a half cup of honey for three bottles of wine. Yeah. So it's got my level of sweetness for sure. Hell yeah. If you want something different, you want to surprise people for the holidays, do this. If you like, if you like um, apple cider or things like that, with that cinnamony, fruity, and you like citrus, you're going to absolutely love this. Oh my god. I literally am so impressed with us because this is so good. This is like going to become one of my go-to holiday recipes. I know. I would rather do this sometimes than mold wine because it's not as heavy. It doesn't mm-hmm. have that heavy like, whoa, I'm like weighed down by this red wine that's warm. I'm going to fall asleep in five minutes because of this drink. This is like a great, it's not... 8 p.m. and you're watching TV, it's maybe like 2 in the afternoon and you're like, let's have a warm cocktail. Absolutely. So I know I mentioned this a lot last year during our holiday episodes, uh, talking about Norwegian glog, which is a spiced apple wine. I've never been able to find it in the U.S. Glog? Norwegian? Norway? No way. I know. I (laughs) I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but Norway, guys. Uh, No, this is... Wine is the closest thing I've ever had to Glog. Wow. And I'm so excited. Um, it's not there yet, but it has that same level of alcohol and same, like, I don't know. It's good. Also, maybe my memory is just fading. Who knows? But seriously, I, I don't know. I keep drinking this because I'm so impressed. I was a little nervous because rosé warm when it's like your chilled summer drink. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would you... You know what? Why? But you know what? Rosé all day can go into the winter, and it doesn't have to be chilled. It can definitely be in your mulled wine, and I highly, highly recommend it. This would also be pretty good, maybe if you wanted to add a little bit of citrus and add some either, you know, orange or lemon. I was thinking lemon a mm-hmm. little bit. Grapefruit, I think, is the perfect bearing for rosé. Strawberries might be good, too. Yeah. Like, on the rim. Not necessarily cooked in it. Straw? I don't know. Maybe not strawberries. But, um... I feel like that wouldn't be the same flavor pro- profile. But um, I know with some mulled wines, you'll add a brandy to it. This one, that would absolutely work. Maybe if you wanted to add like a Contro, like a citrus type liqueur oh, brandy. I think that would be good. I think, boom. Then and, you've got it. Yeah. So this is A+. Absolutely suggest y'all um, head over to Patreon Check out the video where we do kind of a cooking channel style walkthrough of making this and try out the recipe for yourself. Definitely do it. All right. Well, you know, it's it's been pretty quick when we're not doing two wines, um, but it's already time. So it is. we've got our wine. We've talked about our topic. Tyler, what Santa Claus murder did you pick? Because literally, I this is such a weird topic that I, I know we're both... I don't know. It's going to be interesting. So the topic is Santa Claus murders. And I chose the Santa Claus murders. That's what it's known as is the Santa Claus murders. So it doesn't involve Tim Allen. So we're good there. But it does involve loads of cocaine. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be Tim Allen. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah, you know, it, that would be Tim Allen. Fun fact, Tim Allen was arrested and went to jail for cocaine possession in like the 70s. Yeah, if so. you didn't know that, you can totally look up his mugshot and everyone knows it. He was kind of hot. You know, he was though. <laughs> like, like, honestly, like, okay. I'm like, hey Tim. I'm like, I've never really been much into the mustache, but you pulled that off well. Like, okay. And he has like connections. He can party. <laughs> like, okay. He's got some pretty fly hair. <laughs> Um, also, did you know, speaking of the Santa Claus, as this is our episode, um, so Disney does not hire f- convicted felons, but they waived that for Tim Allen to star in the Santa Claus. You know, a lot of our childhood favorite m- movie, and also yeah. uh, clearly as Buzz Lightyear. Well, I wonder They waived if, it then, too, for Toy yeah, Story. I wonder if they, like, removed it entirely, because also, like, Robert Downey Jr. has a past, and he's with Marvel... Has Marvel always been owned by Disney? I was about to say, I don't know if they... I mean, Disney basically owns everything now. I know. Di- check out Disney Plus. <laughs> um, but I, I honestly don't know. So, But I just read that. It could totally be bullshit. I just saw it. And I mean, it, you know, it makes sense. <laughs> I assume Nickelodeon has a similar uh, stance or whatever the... Regulation? HR rule? I don't know. Whatever the rule is. But, um, yes. So, does not involve Tim Allen. Does not involve mountains of cocaine. Does not involve Santa Claus as we would think. I think you cheated. I didn't cheat a damn bit. Because (laughs) I chose one that literally is the topic word for word. And the sources that I used, an article from the New York Times by Reuters... The Murderpedia page for Jerry Scott Heidler, a Washington Post article, could not find the author for that. And then the article Human Monsters, Jerry Heidler, the Santa Claus Killer, by R.A. Brewster. So on December 3rd of 1997, in the town of Santa Claus, Georgia, this is a town that has a sign at the front of it, that says it is the city that loves children. Is it the North Pole? It in, is in Georgia. In Georgia, I mean, but it is one of those towns. Yeah, where the downtown has a bunch of like the Christmas shops, and it's it's Christmas year round in Georgia. It's very much like a touristy place. Like I think they have like a big ass Santa Claus statue next to town hall. There's candy canes year round. It. Sounds a little gaudy, TBH. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, it is it is this small town that is their claim to fame is it is Santa Claus, Georgia. I'm having like a flashback when you mentioned the Santa statue. Um, didn't we watch like a documentary about that town or something? Okay, you could shut your mouth. Yes, we did. It was on the True Crime channel. Whatever. Oh my god, it was! It was this case. And that was, I remember that and was like, hmm, Santa Claus murders, you say? How about <laughs> the Santa Claus Georgia murders? Um, well, to be fair, I vaguely remember that documentary. I just... Yeah. Typical well, true crime doc. It was. And this... 90s style. Yeah. This channel we watched this on, it was an investigation discovery. It was one that... You can get on an antenna, because I don't have cable, I have an antenna, and we were just watching. It's the same channel that has, like, Southern Fried Homicide, where the entire premise is like, while making her peach cobbler, Mary Jane Joanthe had a Virginia Slim in one hand and a gun in the other, 
her man was never going to eat fried green tomatoes again. Because this was his last night on Earth. And you're like, what the hell What am is I going on? What am I watching? <laughs> also, she's making a cobbler. She's smoking. She's killing it. She can do it all. Mary Jo or whatever her name was. I don't know what the name was because it was lots of names. <laughs> it was a, yeah. Um, okay. This story does not involve Mary Jo, whatever her name was, or Southern Fried Homicide at all. It involves the town of Santa Claus, Georgia, and the night of December 3rd, 1997. So about midnight, a man broke into the home of the Daniel family, which was located on Dasher Street, like the reindeer. All the streets are named, like, there's Dasher Street, there's Rudolph Avenue, there's... Dancer Street, Prancer Street, Vixen Avenue. And then there is Helen Keller Memorial Boulevard, just (laughs) one of the main ones. Uh, No, but... Helen Keller instead of MLK, like every other city? Well, there's there's one of those two. (laughs) They they intersect. Oh, gotcha. Um, But this town, I mean, literally, the town is Santa Claus, the streets are named after reindeer, it's... It's a thing. Um, But in this home on Dasher Street, this killer began a murdering spree. So earlier that night, Danny and Kim Daniels, they tucked their kids into bed before they laid down in bed themselves. It'd been a typical day for these parents of seven. They had seven kids. Uh, That's a lot of children, and I'm thinking that'd be quite rough. Yeah, it's a lot of kids. Three of the kids were foster children that they'd open their home to. So they were those kind of people. They were very religious, um, very opening, accepting. Amazing is what it sounds like. I mean, incredible. All, all those foster children, that's... Especially when you like already have a full house and you invite more people mm-hmm. in because your heart's just so big. Well, and like before they'd met... Uh, Kim had previously struggled with a drug addiction. She lived in her car. Then she met Danny. Um, He'd been previously married, had uh, children from a previous marriage. But they met, started dating, and they really, like, pulled each other out of their own respective dark places. And they found each other and wanted to kind of share that love and share that hope with more people. So... They turn to fostering. They start bringing children into their family. And it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of fostering that you know, might scare you of like, oh, you know, children being mistreated and stuff. It was the kind of foster situation that you hope for every child in the foster system where That's amazing. they find a family. That's Danny, so amazing. Yeah. I mean, Danny and Kim had so many children. Every every kid that entered their home was their child. So flash forward a few hours to four o'clock in the morning. A farmer and his wife, they're asleep in their house and they wake up because their dog won't stop barking. And so they get up, they look out the window and they see three like children walking down the road dressed in like their nightgown and pajamas. And they're like, what the fuck? So they call police. Police get there just in a few minutes. And the three kids, aged, their age, like, I think two of them are eight and one of them's ten. They're by the side of the road. They're cold. Because remember, it's December. Oh my and they're gosh. Just in their, like, they're just on the side of the road? They're on the side of the road in Bacon County. 
or on Bacon County Road. And this is 45 miles from their house on Dasher Street. And the kids, they were in shock. The police go up to them and they're like, oh my god, what the fuck's going on? You know, how police talk to children. Um, <laughs> they're, the kids are in shock, but they were coherent. And, and they told their story. Yeah. They said they'd been taken from their home in Santa Claus earlier that morning. The oldest girl, she'd been sexually assaulted. And the oldest girl, remember, is 10. She, yeah, so old is like literally not a word She's to be a used. She's still like a very young grader. child. Um, they then told police where they lived. They directed them back to their house in Santa Claus. And two deputies were dispatched to this house to be like, what the fuck happened here? How did these three kids wind up 45 miles away, abandoned? Who the hell are these parents? Who would do this to their kids? Yeah. And so the police, they get to this ranch-style house just before dawn. And when deputies call into the house, no one answers. The door is open. It's just like kind of a jar. So they kind of like peek their head in, shout in, and no one's there. No one's around the house. It's basically, it's for lack of a better word, it's dead inside. I don't like that foreshadowing. Yeah, well, there you go. So, the police walk in. It is pitch black in the house. They're they're still calling out. They're like, yo, who's here? What's going on? Nothing. So they're like, fuck, we have to like go in this house and investigate. And they are freaked out. These are like, see, you know, they're, they're detectives. They've been on the force for a while. But the town of Santa Claus is like 300 people, I think. I mean, it's tiny ass town. So one, these are probably like county deputies. Even still, this is something they're like, we've dealt with like bad cases before. We've been shot at. We've dealt with deaths. This is something they were like, we do not want to be here. Something does not feel right. And if they have that feeling, being officers that are used to the worst of the worst, they yeah. know whatever they're about walk about to walk into is is horrible. Yeah. So they go in, they start turning on the lights, going room to room, calling for people. They have their guns out because they don't know what they're about to see. Yeah. And when they reach the master bedroom, they are like horrified with what they see so on the bed is 43 year old danny daniels and he's laying next to his 33 year old wife kim they are both drenched in blood and it is is a horrifying scene just down the hall they find their 16 year old adopted daughter jessica daniels she's still in her nightgown laying out on the blood-stained carpet She'd been shot at close range. Oh, no. Just like her parents. Oh, no, 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 no. In the adjoining room, they find eight-year-old Bryant, who was one of their sons. He'd been sleeping with his teddy bear in bed and had been shot in the face. Face shots are beyond uncalled for. Like, that's just not... That shouldn't... That shouldn't be a thing. That's not mm-hmm. fair. Also, close range. This is violent. Yeah. And at this point, the deputies, they're horrified. Yeah. They gain their composure as best as they can. They're checking, you know, is there any sign of life? People survive horrible things. There's none. But then they realize, okay, there were three children that were found uh, abandoned. We found two children. They have seven. Where are the other two? Yep. And these were the ones on the side of the road, right? Well, the, the three on the side of the road had been accounted for. 
Oh, oh, so there's still two. There's missing. still two that are are not there. So they're combing the house. They've checked, made sure that whoever did this is no longer there. They're searching the house. They're looking for more bodies. And in a closet, they found four-year-old Corey and ten-month-old Gabe alive. Ten months old and four. So the four-year-old essentially grabbed the ten-month-old and went into the closet. Yeah, he basically grabbed his little brother and hid. How amazing is that? That a four-year-old, like, in 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 the face of what is a very violent situation. Knew to go grab his baby brother and go hide. Like, yeah. him going to hide does not surprise me. It's no. that that instinct that he I had. I need to grab my 10-month-old brother. Who can't do anything. And I guess at that point, he knew he couldn't... Like, I guess... I'm just putting my mind in, in, in the head of this four-year-old. Like, he hadn't been discovered yet. And he's like, okay... Maybe at this point, everyone else had been discovered but him and his 10-month-old brother. And he's just like, I need to get him and we need to hide. Yeah. And just, my heart is so full with like that. I can't even express it. I'm so impressed. But kids are so impressive. Yeah. I cannot believe that this four-year-old who, like, I mean, let's be real. Four-year-olds are very new in their experiences. They're They're most of the time basically helpless. They They can't do much. And yet, this four-year-old Corey was like, some shit's going down. I I have to save my baby brother. And just by who was murdered and the fact that um, I'm pretty sure the, the three kids that were taken but left alive were three young girls. I think it's probably pretty likely that both Corey and Gabe would have been killed yeah. had Corey not hid them both. So the deputies, they took the kids with them. And then they kind of retraced their steps out of the house very carefully because they, when they were going in, they were looking for people. They didn't know what was happening, but they're not thinking that they're going to be finding this kind of horrific massacre. So when they're coming out, they're like, oh, fuck, we cannot disturb any crime scene evidence. We need to, we need to call everyone. Yeah. Because again, nothing like this had ever happened in Santa Claus, Georgia. Police, when they were doing their comb over the house, um, looking at evidence after getting everyone out of there, they noticed that the killer got in through an open window in the back of the house. And after killing what seemed very casually, very strolling, there wasn't, you know, nothing was like, nothing seemed hurried. And they left without taking anything. There wasn't a robbery. Nothing was even like ransacked. They weren't even looking for anything. It's what? just like they came in, killed, left. Who would want to do that to this beautiful family? I have no idea. Well, I mean, I do because I did the research. But, I mean, just broadly, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what kind of person could want to do this. So, during that Saturday morning after, you know, the as it turns, dawn turns to day, police are interviewing the surviving children and learned that they were awakened by this burst of gunfire. Then right after that, they were taken hostage. The person who did this drove them out into, like, the boonies. That was where he raped the oldest girl. And I'm not naming names because it's a lot. They're victimized children. I don't want to, basically. I I I mean... (laughs) Totally get that. Their names um, don't need to be out there. 
Yeah, Corey and Gabe, it's different. I mean, they're they're also victims in this case, but not in this way. So that's my thought process. That's my reasoning. So after he assaulted her, he drove them 45 miles away and then just let them out. I'm sure this person didn't think that they would survive being just like thrown out. No, I'm sure none of them did. And when we watched the documentary, and I I cannot for the life of me remember the documentary, but a lot of it was um, this daughter who survived the assault, her story and perspective, and talking about how she basically had to keep in charge of the two of her two younger siblings. Yeah. And from what I remember, I couldn't see it in the source that I was looking into. So I cannot be for sure. But from what I remember of the documentary, I'm pretty sure it wasn't a, he just let them go. I don't think he drove out there and was like, all right, deuces y'all. I'm pretty sure what happened is he had stopped the car they escaped and she like hid her siblings and after he couldn't find them he sped off in a way i'm pretty sure that's what happened because earlier i'll go into it a little bit but earlier i think they tried to escape and it that was like when the assault happened and stuff like that yeah so could not find that in the sources that i use but i'm pretty sure from the documentary it's been a while since i saw it but that was one of the things that really stuck with me The kids described their kidnapper's car as this black van. It had tinted windows. And so an all-points bulletin was just flashed around the airwaves, sent around everywhere. The suspect is considered armed and very dangerous. And so they are trying to find this guy. So they have this information, and it's coming from these kids, but they also are looking into the family. Like, okay, what happened? You know, when there's any kind of violent crime like this, I mean, the the first people you look at are those closest. So you look at the spouse, you look at other family members, you look into the family. But when the investigators dove into the family, they found, honestly, not a lot. Their, the marriage seemed like it was good. It's ordinary. Yeah, they had pasts, but it, it honestly seemed like a case where their pasts were actually in the past. They were popular. They were big in the church. That's it. I mean, not much had really happened in their lives until this intruder just came into their house and just murdered them. There's nothing they can look back on as a potential cause or anything like that. It's just random victims. Well, they're not so random. So Danny Daniels, the father, he had been shot in the back of the head and most likely he never knew what hit him. He was probably asleep, and he was killed instantly. There was tissue, blood, brain matter throughout the room because of what was a shotgun blast. So it wasn't even just like his handgun. It was a pretty powerful shotgun. Kim, she had been shot in the face, and most likely she woke up by the shotgun blast that killed her husband. Yeah. She woke up, probably saw the man that killed her. Bryant, the son, had been shot point-blank through the head as he slept. It was in the face. He was clinging to his teddy bear. So it's not known if he was asleep or if he Heard and was terrified. Jessica was obviously awake. She was found in the hall, and she'd also been shot point-blank in the face. And What? 
is with this point blank bullshit. I don't know. I mean, but all of them were basically point blank. And according to evidence, some that they found at the house, some through the surviving children's uh, testimony, they focused on one suspect. And this was a man named Jerry Heidler. He had been the one who allegedly entered the house and started shooting. During the first few hours, the manhunt for him, it shifted into full gear. Police officers everywhere, they spanned out across the county, um, Bacon County, where the kids were found, so where he was last known to be. Right. All the way to Alma, Georgia, where his family lived. The way the article was written, it was like, oh, damn. So I guess that's a distance. I have no idea where Alma, Georgia, or Bacon County are. I don't either. But, um, so, manhunt is in full effect. As far as murder chases are concerned, though, it was not very exciting. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation, or GBI, agents Jerry Rowe and Bill Butler, they were dispatched to Alma, where Heidler's parents and, like, his family was, because they were like, we're gonna, we're gonna say, we're gonna check them out. And behind the house, the van was parked on the street. So they're like, oh, there it is. Wow, so very hidden. Oh, so hidden. And (laughs) not even is, like, the van just literally parked on the street behind his parents' house. But as the police car's pulling up, Jerry's walking out of the front door of the house, like, doing his thing, like, do-do-do. Oh, my gosh. As the police car's pulling up. So they're like, oh. So the officers said they made eye contact with him. And then Heidler just turned around and ran back into the house. I mean, fair. In that moment in time... When there are cops outside, what are you going to do? Run down the street? No. no just like, uh, you bye. just turn around and go back inside. Like, <laughs> you're like, um, actually, never mind. I didn't really want to go to the grocery store. <laughs> you're like, um, you know, I'm good. Like, actually, I don't want Ritz crackers that bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the agents, they see him. So they surround the house. One of them radios for backup. The other goes to the back of the house so that... You know, Heidler can't get out the bag. And at that point, Jerry Heidler's brother comes out and tells the officers, like, I'm the only one in the house. I'm the only one home. They're like, we literally, literally saw your brother <laughs> come out and then go back in. Y'all so. don't look that similar. We're not stupid. Yeah. So Bacon County Sheriff's, uh, oh, so I guess uh, Alma is in Bacon County. Oh, there you go. Because it's not that far. It's not a very big search perimeter then. I one just, county. I just heard your Glade air freshener. Yeah. It was it, a random sound that I just had. Well, initially I was like, what? Oh, oh yeah. Glade air freshener. It's not a killer. It's a Glade air freshener. <laughs> but the door is locked because you're here. I know because I locked it. I know. Also, how can you go on telling people to lock their doors and you don't do it? Because you have to go through like several layers of beeping and locks and keys just to get to my front door. So, honestly, you have to basically be a neighbor on my floor. And if at that point, if one of them wants to murder me, I probably deserve it. It's probably Max's fault. Honestly, still lock your door. I'm disappointed in you. You you should be. If y'all know where I live, please don't come murder me. (laughs) Don't say that. If you know where I live, please do murder me. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want? (laughs) Okay, Uh, I want to know more about your case. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, he, the the house is surrounded, backup is arriving, and they start searching the house. He's in a crawl space underneath the house, 
And they're like, dude, get out. And he's like, Oh my god, no. he, wait, you're serious? he's in the crawlspace under the house? Yeah, he's literally like under the house, <laughs> crouched down there hiding. <laughs> and they're like, Jerry, get out of there. He's Jerry, like, get the no, fuck out of here. He's I like, don't wanna. I'm gonna stay under the house until you leave. Oh, no, literally. Because two officers had to crawl in, guns drawn, and literally drag him out. Okay, what's his name? Jerry? Yeah. Jerry, get... Come on! You're gonna kill an entire family and then hide from the cops under the house. They find you and you're gonna stay there as you, if, like, you have any control of the situation I know. Do now. you literally think you're gonna be there and be like, I'm not coming out? And they're gonna be like, guys, he's not coming out. <laughs> I think it's over. I think we gotta go. I think we gotta go. I think he's. I think we're we done. He's nope. free. Can't do he anything. He won't get out from under the house. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, Jerry. Or do you think your brother is gonna like what bring you a sandwich every day? <laughs> you, you live under there. That's your new life. Is to hide under the house in your little dark cave with the rats and the spiders. Probably scorpions. I don't know if there's scorpions in Georgia, but <laughs> they're gonna get that sandwich first. Honestly, though, when I think of underneath the house and crawl spaces, I, I just think of bodies being hidden under there, to be honest. I don't know. It's the only time I've ever really read about crawl spaces when it's like, so-and-so person found a body that's been there for 70 I mean, years. Yeah, when I think crawl space, I immediately think John Wayne Gacy. Uh, same. I also think John Wayne Gacy, but that's not the only one, which is just beyond that's, creepy. Yeah, and um, yeah, crawl spaces for the lose. Not for the win, for the lose. Yeah, Is fuck crawl spaces. <laughs> fuck crawl spaces. Have a foundation like a normal ass person. <laughs> but like, when did they stop doing crawl spaces and start doing foundations? I don't even really know the purpose of a crawl space. I mean, honest. you have a foundation regardless. The foundation would just be like, I guess, under the crawl space, and the house is just like two, three feet above the foundation, so you can, I don't know, get under for pipes and. Stuff? Storage. I Things don't, I, I don't, don't want to do. Daddy's house has a crawl space. But Wait, are was, you serious? It does. Yeah, you get in through it through like a hole in their closet. Or like a panel, not a hole. Wait, <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, it's creepy as shit. I've wait, watched Daddy go down the... there one day. Why? I've never gone in. I'm claustrophobic <laughs> as fuck. Okay, but... wait. But start from the beginning because I didn't know they had a crawl space. I'm yeah, definitely like, talking to them about this next time. It's, I, it's like I dirt floor crawl space. Daddy had to get under there to... I don't know, probably do some construction something. And you were like, what, like the person that watches at the door to make sure it doesn't shut or something? I I think so. (laughs) Or it might have just been like one of the summers that I was there and he was like, oh, I have to go under the house. And I was like, I refuse to go under. That will never happen. I'll talk to you through the, I'll talk to you through the opening. (laughs) If you never come back, I'll tell your story. Oh my God. (laughs) um, That's all you get from me. That, okay, um, so you've literally opened my eyes about crawl spaces because I didn't know that was still a thing. I know their house was built, um, I mean, it's like totally remodeled and you would mm. never guess now that it was built in, I don't know, the 50s or something. Yeah. And, um, okay, crawl space. Honestly, I gotta ask questions about it. Basically, if you see a house that was built like middle of the 20th century or earlier and has like, you know, you walk up three or four steps to go in that space you're walking above if it's not a basement it's probably a crawl space i learn new information every day there you go there is your your mid-century modern architecture lesson (laughs) um but yeah so he's 
dicking around in the crawl space, just being a little dick. Like, no, it won't come out. I'm staying. <laughs> and they're like, we will drag you out of there, you know, come on out. And then they did. And then they literally they did. They literally did. Which, honestly, that cop that had to go down there and drag him was probably like, are you fucking serious, dude? I mean, yeah. He probably, that morning, had to, like, drag his seven-year-old out from under the bed because they didn't want to go to school. And he's like... You know this what, fuck again? It, guys, I volunteer. I did this shit this morning. <laughs> like, you know, here's daddy. That, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that made me think of like the shining. Here's Johnny. <laughs> That's, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't want anyone to say, here's daddy to me. Regardless, they pull him out. And when they do, he's arrested on an outstanding warrant of a probation violation because. They don't, they just have the kid's word, really. Like, that's the yeah. main thing at this point. So it's not like they could really easily arrest him and get a warrant for his arrest from a judge on that. But he has a probation violation and bitch left the county. So, deuces. Got him. And then his brother was also arrested for obstructing ju- justice. And good, because the fuck, dude. Yeah, trying to, like, say at the front door, like, I'm the only one here. And he's, he's like, not here. actually, dude, we literally already saw him. So that was, you're that was under me. arrest. In a wig. <laughs> by the by. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they were both put in jail without bail. Bail. <laughs> without, they didn't get bells either. Wait, who's Bell? <laughs> Bell was not there. Uh, it, it was without him. Uh, but they also didn't have bail. <laughs> right, so they're... They're holding them. Mm-hmm. So then Tuesday, December 9th, about, you know, less than a week after the murders. Side note, just realized yours was in December, so not a Santa yeah. Claus, but it's in Santa Claus, and it's, it's in, in December. It's in Santa Claus, so... and it's December, yeah. so I think it counts. Yep. Um, but on Tuesday, December 9th, funeral services for the Daniels family were held at the First United Methodist Church. The five kids that were left alive were sitting in the front pews, and they were protected from the media. Because at this point, this is a media sensation. It is an entire family, basically. Well, it is half a family that's been wiped out in Santa Claus, Georgia. Please forgive me for how I just pronounced Georgia. I, I, I drug it out. Georgia. Georgia. But, I mean, it's this tiny-ass town in Georgia, has a funky name, has a quirky history. It's the Santa Claus town. Family murders. I mean, it's... It's everywhere. It's the quote-unquote perfect, like, nightly news cycle sensation. So, the media descends on Santa Claus, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I can't just say Santa Claus because... It feels weird. Media descended on Santa Claus. Um, But on this town. And so literally during their parents and siblings funeral, the kids had to sit in the front pews and be protected because of how involved in the community the family was and with how many victims there were. Behind the kids and their police bodyguards were 20 pallbearers. 20? I get that though. I guess you need multiples for one coffin and there's... I mean, it's a funeral for four victims. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, homicide detectives were still kind of diving into the background of both the killer and the victims, trying to see what what motive there was. And they finally got something. 
it, it initially wasn't much of a lead, but it started building. One of the relatives in the family told detectives that Jessica had previously been in a relationship with Heidel. What? And had broken up. So Jessica was the 16-year-old daughter who was killed in the hallway. Yeah. And Heidel, I don't know if I said his age before, he was like 20 or something. Oh, um, I was picturing he was like in his 40s or something. I don't know No, why. he was he was young. He had, again, didn't find this in my sources, but I feel like I remember it from the documentary. I feel like he had been involved with the family for years. Like, basically, oh. one of the kids that, you know, wasn't in the foster system and wasn't their kid, but because of how open they were was, like, a friend of a kid, like, was basically their kid. Oh. I mean, they were... So he was close. Yeah, didn't live with them or anything, but, like, grew up, you know, with a lot of the kids, was friends with them, was known by them. Yeah. Dated Jessica. I did not realize this was someone that was this close to the family. So, again, didn't see that in my sources, but I specifically oh. remember that from this documentary. So again, the unnamed, cannot confirm. Cannot remember. <laughs> yeah, cannot confirm. Could be a I don't know a fever dream. I promise you, it's not. So that kind of piece of evidence and him being involved in the family really started to open more things up at the motive. So in a statement that the uh, the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation agent, said. Um, after they'd interrogated Heidler, they said that he had said, that their statement was that he had said, without flinching, I killed them all. Oh. And said that he had not been emotional about his confession and did not show any signs of remorse. And his attorneys, um, after this, they were trying to get this confession thrown out. But while they're focusing on that, the detectives and the investigators in this case were looking at the uh, statements from the children who had survived, the ones who'd been kidnapped by him and taken in their nightgowns. And this really kind of untangled everything for them. The children said that they had been awakened by these gunshots. Then a man who had once dated their sister, Jessica, entered the bedroom and took them into a strange van. He then took them far from home and they were crying. He put them out on this deserted, dark road, and they were scared. Heidler's story, which, you know, he had told to the GBI agents, was that he used this stepladder by the garden to hoist himself into the bedroom window and enter the house. He shot Bryant first, so, like, likely Bryant was sleeping before he was killed. Jessica woke up. She ran towards him, apparently running to probably get her parents to me that blows my mind someone who sees her ex-boyfriend with a gun has just been awoken by her brother being killed doesn't run away runs towards him because that's how she gets to her parents that's how she gets to safety is by running towards the man with the gun and that's how he kills her and then he shot both danny and kim in quick succession after that after the shooting he grabbed the three kids out of the house and into the stolen van. He told officers that he remembered driving to a bridge where he took the 10-year-old girl out to a boat ramp, sexually assaulted her, and made sure it was out of sight of the others in the van. 
As if that as if makes that... this any fucking better, you monster. No, no. Hiding it literally makes no difference. It still happened. She still has to feel that. Like Also, she's 10. I hate this guy so much. He's a fucking monster. And he's such a wimp hiding under the house. I can't get over that. Yeah. Like That is, it's like, no, face what you did. Don't hide from that. Yeah. If you're going to do it, admit it. If you're going to fucking murder people, don't, don't murder and then he scamper away. Yeah. I mean, don't murder in general. Like, straight up don't. But, no, I totally agree. After he raped her, the 10-year-old, she asked him to get rid of the gun because he was scaring them. And he did. He tossed it into the river. Wow. And so, and this is the same girl he assaulted. Yeah. He, like, listens to her. And I think because of his relationship with the family from the documentary, I think he was sort of like an older brother to her kind of thing. And the fact that he did this, I can't get over it. Yeah. So her telling him, you know, please get rid of that gun. You're scaring us. He yep. did. Um, it's all, it's so fucked up. This is all fucking horrifying. It is. Yeah. So after tossing the gun, he abandoned the girls and then he drove to his mom's house. And that was where they were found on this random ass farm road by these farmers who called the police and where he was found at his mom's by the police. So on Tuesday, July 6th of 1999, we're jumping forward year and a half. He's waiting trial, and he escaped. He escaped uh, prison. Jail, I guess. Wait, like, he ran away? Yeah. He escaped. He escaped. So there's tracking dogs, helicopters. They're all looking out for him. Across the entire state of Georgia, there are news flashes. This is a suspected murderer, escaped from jail, killed an entire family. Anyone who, like, sees him, you're in extreme danger. And I actually think, just now, uh, this says... He was 20 when he escaped. So he's probably like 18, 19. When it happened. When he committed the murders. Yeah. Um, Wow. Yeah. That's so much for someone so young to do. Yeah. I mean, he was a kid. Yeah. 18, 19, you're still a kid. Very much so. But, I mean, also a fucking adult. So when jailers searched his cell, they found 75 homemade weapons that he'd made, he had unscrewed wire cages from like smoke alarms and fire alarms. And he, during his time in jail, he would routinely threaten to kill the jailers and uh, other inmates. And so the other inmates, they were like, no, nah, we're not, we're not going anywhere near him. We're done. Because also in jail, I would imagine the like other inmates and stuff are like someone with a DUI or... I don't know what people go to jail for. Not DUIs are not okay, but like not murdered an entire family kind of thing. So I think people were like, oh no, we're how, not fucking with this. How did he have that many weapons hidden? 75. That blows my mind. Like, and and also I'm like, what do they categorize as a weapon? Is like a piece of wood a weapon? Probably. Anything could be a well, weapon, I but mean, 75? This is a small county in Georgia. It's not like he is in a prison for that's used to housing murderers or people that right. have done these horrifying crimes. This is this is one that probably like 
I don't know, very stereotypical, but like, the town drunk stays in to sober up because he's best friends with the sheriff and he can't drive, so he sleeps in the cell. Like, that kind of jail. Yeah. So, he was able to hide 75 weapons and escape. But, very quickly after escaping, he was captured and returned to jail for trial. At the end of his trial, the jury, who deliberated for 20 minutes, they were like, nah, we know he did it. Yeah, I mean, we're not, like, we're not, we have, that's, that's them doing the paperwork is what I that is. That is as much time as it takes 12 people to like stand up and all sign a document of like, yeah, he did it. So they found him guilty on Friday, September 3rd of 1999. He was given four death sentences, one for each person he killed. And then the judge also handed him an additional two life sentences plus 110 years on three counts of kidnapping and three counts of sodomy and child molestation and one burglary. What bothers me here, I mean, it's it's 1999. Sodomy was still legal in Georgia. It was mm-hmm. still illegal in Texas. And that's... The fact that they're using that and not, like, sexual assault... Right. ...really bothers me here, because... I'm like, yeah, sodomy, to my understanding as a gay man, is butt stuff. That's my understanding. That's always been my understanding. So. But when it's involuntary, it's rape. Well, exactly, which is why I'm not understanding why it wasn't charged rape or sexual assault. Do you know, I mean, I don't know the the difference in the punishments. Because, you know, well, sometimes it can be, like, a different, like, phrase, so, but same punishment. So, well, I'm not positive. I mean, for this, for three counts of kidnapping, three counts of sodomy, and child molestation, and burglary, he got two life sentences plus 110 years. So, however that split up. Yeah. But I also know that in 99, I think, or 2002, it was one of those years, but, um, like, two gay men in Texas in a consensual relationship were arrested and charged with sodomy. And that is that went up to the Supreme Court and that's that decriminalized being gay in the US. In the like less than twenty years ago, FYI. That's ridiculous. Um, so again, that's why I'm confused that that's the charge. But regardless, this motherfucker deserves all the jail time in the world. And even though it's Georgia and he has four death sentences, it's been 20 years. From everything I read, he's still alive, still on death row. Death row is a long process. It is. And I read a couple things that were like, his execution date was scheduled for October. And I'm like, he was sentenced in September. I don't think that's how they do it. Because I know you get like an automatic appeal or like system of appeals of when course, it's the yeah. death penalty. So not 100% sure, but... Uh, the close, the furthest information or most recent information I could find was that Jerry Heidler is currently sitting in the state of Georgia's Department of Corrections facility in Atlanta. The surviving kids after this were placed with family and they're living their lives. Good. They're survivors of this horrifying tragedy. And it's a tragedy that still marks the town of Santa Claus. And yet... Even still, their town motto and how they strive and live as a town is a town that loves children. And that's who they are to their core, who they are this day. And that is the case of the Santa Claus murders. 
All right. That's intense. Um, I need another hit of wine and also pop this in the microwave. Yeah, I know. Mine's <laughs> mine's gotten a bit chill, uh, like chilled. I need to warm this up and I need some more of it. Absolutely. So tell me about what case you brought for this holiday themed Santa Claus murder themed fun fest of horror we call blood and wine um well i actually feel like i stuck a little bit closer to the real topic with santa claus um so mine's the christmas day murders in grapevine in 2011 oh okay yeah so the sources i used a cbs news article by the crime cider staff um dallas news an article from their website and an article from daily mail well now that i have my nice hot glass of Mold rosé, dive in. Ah, uh, taking a nice sip. Okay, so it's Christmas Day in 2011 in the Dallas suburb of Grapevine. I've already told you that, but you know, for people not in Texas, you may not know about Grapevine. So it's a community of about 46,000 people, about 20 miles northwest of downtown Dallas. There's a mall there. That's all I know. There's a mall there. It's fantastic. It's the good mall. It's great. Um, They are known for wine tasting and they are also oh. proclaimed as the state by the state senate as the Christmas capital of Texas. And it's okay. because they have like an abundance of annual holiday season events. Also, yes, they do have a ton of wine tastings at Great Creek. Their whole downtown great is like, wine. yeah. Not Great Creek. That's a winery. <laughs> That's a winery. That's a winery we went to recently. Um, yes, in Grapevine. All the grape things in Texas. I I never thought about that. I mean, it's called Grapevine. So yeah, you would probably assume they have grapes. Yeah. They have wine. But it's also in the middle of the Metroplex. So I would not have thought. But okay. There's some fun wineries there in their downtown square. Huh. So on this Christmas day on 2011, 22-year-old Sarah Zarai sent a text to her friend It was just before 11 a.m. that morning, and she was just saying that she and her family had arrived at her aunt's apartment, Fatima Ramati. Um, Her aunt was 55 years old, and she had two sons, Ali, who was 14, and Nona, who was 19. So Sarah gets to this house, and she texts her friend, or the apartment, and she's like, so we're here. We just got here, and my uncle is here too, dressed as Santa. Awesome. And then at 11.15, she texted... Now he wants to be all fatherly and win father of the year. Okay, so she is being sarcastic. She's being She's super like, awesome. sassy. Great. He's here. He's dressed as Santa. Yes, because her uncle, her aunt and uncle had split up. Oh. In that spring. So they're not together. And so when he shows up, it's like, uh, I roll. He's dressed as Santa. He's trying to be father of the year here oh, to his kids. Oh, he's kid. this fucker. Yeah. Yeah. But... Father of the year and him just trying to do that, that's not at all how this day is going. Oh. So Aziz Yazdan Punai, apologies if I said that wrong, um, but he's 55 years old, he's dressed as Santa Claus, and that's when he decides to fatally shoot his estranged <gasps> wife, Fatima, and her two children, Ali and Nona. So his two children. Oh. He also kills his wife's sister, Zorea Ramati, who's 58, her husband, Mohammed Zare, 59, and their daughter, Sarah, who had just texted her friend. Fuck. So she's texting her friend like, oh my God, fuck this noise, and then gets murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's exactly what happens. 
So after Aziz shot six of his family members, he calls 911 at 11.34 a.m. So that last text she sent, by the way, was at 11.15. So by 11.34, he's already dialing 911. 19 minutes later. So she probably sent it minutes before. Yeah. So he calls 911 and then he shoots himself. Police arrived three minutes later to find everyone dead. It appeared that they had been opening presents um, around the Christmas tree just before the attack happened. And the recording of the 911 call, um, the one that was released later, when they were able to analyze it, it revealed someone saying, help, help, and then I am shooting people. The words at the time, like, um, were they were very muffled because the caller was breathing really heavily. The dispatcher was having a really hard time hearing him. But when investigators got a hold of this recording and they could mm-hmm. use different software, they, that's when they, you know, were able to tell what was being said. And that's when they knew for sure it was Aziz. Before Aziz killed himself, he tried to stage the scene by placing one of two guns that he had with him in the hand of his brother-in-law, Mohammed. Mohammed had actually been shot with both of the guns And so one was found in his hand and the other was found in Aziz's hand. Because, like I said, Aziz committed suicide and so one of those guns was in his hand. The medical examiner's office said Aziz's son, daughter, niece, and sister-in-law, they were shot multiple times in the head. Mm. His wife was shot once in the head and his brother-in-law was shot multiple times in the head, chest, and stomach. So he, you know, during this attack was extremely violent um he's shooting multiple times in the head which i'm like that's not necessary no it's just showing aggression yeah and the big question is really like why is aziz doing this yeah i mean that's what i'm trying to figure out right now because it you know he they separated in the springs like you know nine ten months earlier they separated obviously Things are on fine enough terms that it's not red flaggy enough to the rest of the family and to his own family that he's here. Because it's not the story of they're doing Christmas and he busts in and they're like, what the fuck are you doing here? It's, you know, they're doing Christmas. He's also there. He's dressed as as Santa. But it's comfortable enough for Sarah to be like, fuck this about it. It's not comfortable, you know, it's not so weird that she's like, I mean, not texting kind of thing. Like, this is uncomfortable as fuck. I can't even be texting. Or even like, so uncomfortable that she's texting her friend like, this is fucking weird. Yeah. It's comfortable and annoying. Yes. Yeah. And that annoyance is definitely something that's reverberating in the room. Um, You know, I don't really know how much he was supposed to be there, but it's his kids. It's Christmas Day. And so it's kind of like, okay. Sure, we got this, but also, it's why like, are you awesome. dressed up as Santa? Okay, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get another glass of wine. Fadima, please join me. Yeah, it's like, I don't care that it's 11 a.m., but I'm going to need my second glass already, so thank yeah. you. And, I mean, we all have that uncle or cousin or aunt or that, that, is so that family viral-ing. member that we're just like, oh my god, why are you here? And, you know... Some of the times it's like, we love you anyway, so whatever. Sometimes they actually are estranged, and it's like, why the fuck are you here? But for this to go from like, oh my god, fucking Uncle Aziz, like, being Santa, trying to be the best 
fucking dad. Like, you know, we know you cheated on Aunt Fatima, so, like, fuck off, dude. But to, to go from that, like, Eastern Shaw, fuck him, to him shooting and killing the family, why? I know. Well, so one of Nona's friends, Yazel Alvarenga, said that Nona had hinted in August, so a little, you know, a few months ago, that things were becoming increasingly difficult in her life, but she didn't go, any, go into any details. She said that she knew that Nona's father was really strict, so that Aziz was really strict, but that her mom, Fatima, was more understanding. Yeah. Which, honestly, this I is mean, your typical, my parents are divorced, and one is this, one is that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty common. Yeah, no one that, you know, dad's strict, mom's more understanding. Exactly. And so hours before the families were killed, the Yazdan, Panya, and Zaray families, they threw a really big party on Christmas Eve at their ranch, which was, you know, there in Grapevine. Mm-hmm. Dozens of friends and relatives celebrated, celebrated late into the night, but Aziz was not invited to this party. Okay. So Fatima's brother, Ali Ramati, he was not in the attack. He said that he had actually been financially supporting the family and that Aziz was having financial problems. And he really didn't like that his estranged wife was doing so well after their separation. So it's this like jealousy and... So he and Fatima get divorced. She's doing well. You know, her brother's been the one supporting the family and stuff. And so they get divorced and she's having a fucking glow up. Yeah, she's living she's her fine. life. She's going to Great Mind Mills Mall. She's getting her hair set. She's a boss ass bitch. And he's like, what the fuck? We divorce and you have this glow up. Like, you know, you're you're successful. You're not supposed to be successful. You're my ex. So he's Well, so he had been unemployed for about a decade. Oh. And he had never shown any signs of being violent. He was often seen working in his yard, and neighbors said there were very few signs of disagreements Mm. in the family. Like, they seemed fine. Was he unemployed, or was he like the stay-at-home dad, I wonder? He had done, I think, real estate before, Mm -hmm. and I guess it just wasn't panning out or something of the sort. So, no. He was unemployed, and... You know, he had actually long forbidden Fatima from getting a job, and she actually held a state cosmetology license, and he didn't want her to work. But once he was unemployed, she had two jobs at different spas. So it was like something changed, and he was like, oh, wait, 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 I can't get a job. I need you to go work. She's like, well, I fucking can get a job. Exactly. here I am. She's like, I have these licenses, and I will go get it. Well, because I will say a lot of times, like, you know, oh, dad's unemployed. Mom has a job. It's like, well, you know, if it's reverse, if dad has a job and mom stays at home, you don't say she's unemployed. She's like, oh, she's a stay-at-home mom. I'm like, it's it, it can, in in circumstances that it is, it can be the same for dad. True. You know, be the stay-at-home parent. Well, but I don't think that was the case no, in this I mean, situation. It, it, it wasn't in this situation, but I'm just saying like the... That stereotypical, I mean, the woman's the yeah. one that can be at home. No, no, I totally agree. Like a man can absolutely do that. Yeah. Because but, some people, like, for example, 
I can't imagine not working. Kids, no kids. I I just can't imagine not working. See, and for but me... But some people don't want to. Yeah, for me, it depends on where I'm at, where I'm at with my career, where my spouse at with their career, what our careers are. Because, you know, some are easier to step away for a couple years and come back into. True. And some, that's not an option. You can't do that. But, for, I mean, for me, it's it's that and who has the better benefits. Like, I mean, that it's a discussion. Is a legit and maybe question. more realistically, it's probably we both work because that's how you have to do it these days to avoid everything. One of us works just to pay for daycare. But regardless, um, no, I mean, that's something that happens in a lot of families, but it seems like he is the type of person who that is not fucking okay. He's sitting there, his wife's bringing home the money, and he's like getting progressively pissed about it. And I'm like, dude, if she's better at. She's better at bringing home money than you. Well, so, although police believe that the financial and the marital problems were part of Aziz's issues, they were really still unsure of what led Aziz to murder his entire family. Yeah, because obviously that's been things that have been established and been a long term. These have always been issues. What's the, the thing that set off spark to powder keg? What what yeah. set this off? Yeah, you know, phrases and such. So one of the friends of the family, Maj Majdehi, said that Fatima moved out of the couple's 3,000 square foot home that they had in um, Colleyville, which mm-hmm. is a neighboring suburb of Grapevine. Um, she moved out in April of 2011 in, into an apartment complex that was about two miles away, and her two children moved with her. Oh, so this is the, you know, they, this like when they separated in April. Yeah, in that spring. So Majdehi said that the family's financial troubles, they really intensified about four years prior when Aziz stopped working in the mortgage business. So like Mm -hmm. I was saying, finances were not an issue until he stopped. And so I don't know if this was a, he was let go and then was just bitter and wouldn't find something else or couldn't find something else Mm -hmm. or he just stopped. Well, and it's one of those things that, I mean, real estate can be very successful. It can. But if she's the one bringing all the money and she has to work two jobs and while cosmetology, you know, doing hair and stuff, you can make a shit ton of money there too. I feel like newly coming into the business where you don't have already like a reputation and a set client. You're not like established. You're, yeah, you're probably not bringing a ton of money. So to have a 3,000 square foot house on one person's like salary, yeah, that's gonna be fucking rough. Yeah. And so Sergeant Robert Eberling said that Aziz was probably just really overwhelmed And when it was all said and done, like overwhelmed from his situation, from the separation, when it was all said and done, he decided to take his life. So he wanted to take down his family at the same time. Dude, why? If you're going to kill yourself, like, don't do it. Talk to someone, get help. But like, there's no need to hurt other people in the process. Just go find help. Literally tell anyone. Tell a couple of people if you need to, to, to really... Get help. Also, side note, if a friend ever tells you or a family member that they're contemplating suicide, don't take that lightly. No. Even if it's something they've said more than once, it's not to be taken lightly. I mean, even if it's something that you're like, shit, I don't know what to do. Do I just like 
call the police and get them committed. I mean, if that fucking saves their life, then Do that's it. not an overreaction. Yeah. Like, don't don't worry about that or worry about the optics or worry about all of this. Like, sorry, Max. If y'all heard of Max Bark, he had a little nightmare just now. Or he Aww. didn't like what I was saying. Which, I mean, exactly, fair. It's not a, not a fun topic to talk about. But, I mean... Don't worry about the optics or worry about like, oh, you know, I can't believe I got my cousin committed. No, because it's not I can't believe I got my cousin committed. It's I saved my cousin from committing suicide and got them help. Yeah. So a year after the murder, so December 2012, an 85-page Grapevine police report was released. And it, you know, documented everything that happened and this was the deadliest crime in the city's history. Wow. So this report offered some new insights into the mindset of Aziz in the time before he became an internationally known mass murderer, mm-hmm. before he killed his whole family. Before all this happened, Aziz told a friend that he and Muhammad, so his brother-in-law, they would lie to their wives and they would take trips together and they would get hotel rooms and hire sex workers and... Mohammed apparently told his wife only what Aziz was doing on these trips. Oh, so he'd be like, honey, I mean, your your, your sister's ex-husband, he's... Well, you know, husband at the time. Or, okay, your sister's husband, he went to this hotel. I mean, I was there on business, or I was... I don't know why, how he explained away him being there, but then he hired these sex workers, and he's cheating on her, and all this stuff, and it's like... Yep. Dude, what the fuck? You're very much involved. So, yeah, I mean, so Mohammed tells his wife about what Aziz is doing, and this definitely could have played a role in the separation from his wife, from Fatima. Yeah. Um, This same friend, who's unnamed, also told police that Aziz probably would have been deeply hurt that he wasn't invited to that Christmas Eve party. So. Okay. This is, you know, to him, it's it's his family and he also believed that his wife's sister was interfering with his marriage. So because oh, Muhammad was telling his wife that Aziz was doing these things, his... She's talking to her sister and being like, you need to get the fuck out of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I can also see, you know, if they separated in the spring, this might be the first big, you know, family come together holiday. If they, Maybe they're the kind of family like ours who Thanksgiving isn't always a big thing. Right. So maybe winter and Christmas time is the first big, you know, the entire family comes together, party or whatever, and he's not invited. Exactly. This is the first time he's really realizing, oh no, I'm out of the family. I have been rejected. On top of everything that was going on with the family, um, Fatima told her apartment management that she was scared of Aziz. And that she told a colleague that he did not take well to the impending divorce that they were having. Like, the separation was Mm. not going well for him. But the fact that she felt the need to alert her apartment complex, that's big. I don't ever talk to my, like, apartment complex. Unless it's me going downstairs because for some reason I have a package in the lobby instead of, like, in my mailbox or something. Like, I don't... for, For me to feel in danger enough to go to them be like hey if you see this person please don't let them in warn me like these things i'm i'm scared of this per 
That's fucking big. That's intense. And it's it's her and her two children. Yeah. And so I know the apartment complex took that seriously. And Absolutely. it's like, okay. There was also one of their neighbors in Colleyville. And Aziz also went by the name Bob. So this neighbor referred to Aziz as Packing Heat Bob. Because he had once spoken about carrying a gun because he was having problems with his daughter's boyfriends. That is concerning for me. That would be very much a red flag. But that also might be the most Texas thing I've heard all day. Pack and heat, Bob? I know. Pack and heat, Bobby doesn't like his daughter's boyfriend. <laughs> He's gonna be cleaning his gun when she when he picks her up for the night. Uh, I don't like it. I mean, I think that's fucking by the way, gross. I hate that voice that you do. Like, I hate it and I love it. It's very 50-50. I mean, no, I, I, I hate it. It's it's the worst voice I do. Uh, no, but I hate the idea of the, like, dad's cleaning his gun, you know, to, to scare off boyfriend. I'm like, so you're... You're actually going to shoot him? Like, first off, your, your daughter's, what, your object? She is her own person. And will make her own decisions. Some of them will be mistakes she learns from. She's a person, not your object. Yeah. Um, second off, this, like, I'm all... Sh- like, what, you're going to murder him if he doesn't open the door for... What? If they consensually have sex because they're 16 and make equal dumb decisions because they're 16, you're going to murder him? No. Come on. I hate that. I hate that too, and it's I don't, I don't you gotta let people live their lives, make their own mistakes. There's yeah. there's a difference in protecting someone and like holding someone back. Well, and also the whole idea of like, okay, you feel comfortable doing that, but if your son is like, this is my girlfriend, Stasney, are you gonna threaten her with a gun too? Like, no, obviously that's fucked up. Yeah, it's the same thing. Also, her name's Stasney for some reason. <laughs> so. As it boils down to, the truth is, we may never know why Aziz actually did this. Yeah. Why he massacred his entire family. And Ulbering, um, the sergeant, he said that, you know, sometimes there's not really a good explanation for irrational behavior. I agree with that. It's yeah. an irrational behavior, and that doesn't need an explanation. As much as we want one, we may never have one. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it could come down to if he's packing heat, Bob, and he always has his guns on him, even in his Santa suit, it could have been so much as someone making a comment. Right. Or or someone being like, you know what, Aziz, I, I think it's time for you to go. Yeah. So that is the case of uh, the Grapevine Christmas Day murders in 2011. Okay. Uh... I need to grab another glass of mulled rosé. Before we jump into... Postmortem? Yep. Yep. All right, we've got more rosé. Yep, we got our our wines. It's postmortem time, and I'm going to lead this one. Lead it. So this topic was quite interesting. I'm just going to start with that. Because... Santa Claus Murders obviously was taken two different ways by me and you. Yeah. <laughs> you were just like, LOL, Santa Claus. I'll use that as the name of the town. Literally, I you said Santa Claus Murders. I googled Santa Claus Murders and the Santa Claus Murders popped up. And I was like, mm-hmm, yep, done. 
So regardless of the fact that you definitely blatantly ignored the rules or side-skipped them. Or okay, you, no, no, I You think... did the thing where you're like, uh-huh, I'm following the rules, but I'm just going to be a little bit of an asshole. I'm pretty <laughs> sure <kidding>. <laughs> that I actually followed the rules more closely to the topic than anyone ever could. I feel like when your case is literally called the topic... It's 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 on topic. I don't care. Yes, Santa Claus murders. I I could have done a you know oh a man with a machine gun shot up the North Pole. I don't know if that's ever happened, but if it did, it's if in he a was book somewhere. Santa. I promise. But I'm just saying when the topic is Santa Claus murders, and I choose the Santa Claus murders, it's on topic. <laughs> um, I will say it's. Very unfortunate that both of our cases involved, like, mass family homicide. Yeah. And I I hate that we have that similarity going into this. Me too. But I will say, both very intense. Yours, I think, takes the cake just because of the added things, like, they knew who it was, the hiding under the house, which literally, lol. And the fact that he just dropped three of the kids off, like, 40 miles away, and that the four-year-old saved his 10-month-old brother. These are the things that I think make your case uh, more intense. And that I'm going to go with you winning this one. I'll agree with you on this one. I think, to me, I do disagree on the why in a couple ways. Because I think, for me, the biggest reason why I would pick my case is just the length of it the fact that you know he killed half of the family basically two family members are hiding three of the family members were kidnapped for hours one of them was sexually assaulted and it was more of an experience of hours whereas your case you know yeah in mine they knew him he was a friend of the family in your case it was their dad or right. the that, person that they grew true. up as Uncle Aziz. Yeah. Or, you know, that... So it's it's literally like, you know, yeah, he's he's divorcing and Fatima, but he's still family. And Both of so ours are pretty heartbreaking. They're fucking horrifying. But, okay, I'll take it. I'll take this holiday win. All right. This means you yeah. have to pick the topic for New Year's, so... Oh. Or, I mean, I have to. Oh, my God. No, I have oh, to yeah, pick the topic. You, oh, shit. No, <laughs> Sorry. I'm good then. Okay. Ooh, you could have convinced me right there. <laughs> you know. could have told me, and I would have been like, damn, you're right. That's the rules of this. That's how we go. I know. Okay. Oh, in case you're wondering, by the way, the, the rosé mulled wine, like, definitely still keeps the alcohol yeah, if you do if it right. You, we um, didn't let it get to bubbling. We let it get to, like, ooh, that's the temperature I want to that, drink that's it That's what at. I want to drink it And at. we took it off the burner, and we've just been, we get a new glass and microwave it for, like, 30 seconds, both glasses, so it's fine. Um, yeah, sorry, trying to convince you of the wrong thing. I got that one off. I don't think you're that sorry, but... I have the responsibility of picking our New Year's Eve topic, so, ooh. okay. I will take this challenge. I, okay, do it. I am, I know you're going to pick something incredible. I do a great job. You know I do. You do every time. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this. I hope you all are having a wonderful holiday season. If you're listening to this around the time it comes out. Um, If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. Um, If you celebrate Hanukkah, Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa, if you celebrate that. Happy holidays. I don't know, the winter solstice. That's, that's, I, I know there are a lot more holidays in December and in the winter months, 
So happy winter festivities to all. Happy holidays. Um, Hope y'all are enjoying time, whether it is with your family, with your friends, with yourself. Fucking take care of yourself this winter season. Do it. Seasonal affective disorder affects all of us. Don't get your ass depressed. Take your vitamin D pills. Have that light in your face. Listen, it's important. Take care of yourself. You're important. And you need to know that. So, but anyways, thank y'all so much for listening. I hope y'all enjoyed this holiday-themed episode. If you did, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, Give us those five stars. Let us know what you liked so more people can listen to my buttery smooth voice and uh, Brittany's, I don't know, caramel voice. Is it, though? I don't know what you would call my voice. The sound of shattering glass. The crackles. in an acoustic room that it's like, ooh, shit, okay. That's okay. what I describe So, that. shattering glass, so like kind of like a scary sound that crackles a lot, but it sounds good. <laughs> um, but listen, if y'all enjoyed the sound of our voices, enjoy our topics, other people will be able to find us. And be able to have the same enjoyment as y'all. Definitely. And while you're at it, be sure to like and follow us on social. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Chat at us. Let us know what you think. Tell us topic ideas that you have. We want it all. Yes, we do. And this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Happy holidays. Bye.